Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Planning for Retirement podcast, where we help educate people on how retirement works. I'm Kevin Lau, your host. I'm also the lead financial planner at Imagine Financial Security. Imagine Financial Security is an independent financial planning and investment management firm based in Florida. However, this information is for educational purposes only and should not be used as investment, legal, or tax advice. This is episode number 15, and it's our 2023 market outlook. Hope you enjoy the show, and if you like what you hear, leave us that five-star review and make sure to give us a follow and stay up to date on our latest episodes. So today we're going to be unpacking our investment outlook for 2023, but before we do that, it's important to look back at where we are coming from. So what a year, not in a good way for the markets, but in a good way for the virus itself. You know, 2022, I think most people are sort of living in a post-pandemic normal or a new normal, if you will, except for China. Uh, but I talked to a lot of clients last year that started to take those big trips that they had put put off for a couple of years or a year due to the virus. And, and they took those trips in 2022 or have big plans in 2023. You know, my parents took an Alaskan cruise last year. I had clients travel to uh, to New Zealand and Australia. I had clients travel to Greece. I, I had some clients that took a, a Baltic cruise. So um, very exciting from that perspective. So good for you guys. Enjoy your retirement. Live your best retirement lives. Another positive is that is anyone counting the number of daily COVID cases anymore? You know, thank the Lord that that's behind us. You know, it felt like Forever, you know, people were just checking the CDC website on a daily basis to see where cases were and where the trends were. You know, so it seems like the virus we is sort of an afterthought. Um, but now, in 2022 and now in 2023, we're seeing the effects of of really bad policy over the last three years, and and we're probably just getting started with this. You know, and and you know, we can't really talk about the impacts of COVID without talking about inflation. So let's start there. You know, January, the reading of January 2022, so a year ago today, uh, the inflation reading was 7.5%, which at the time was was the highest in 40 years. But th- the key is the Fed funds rate was still at 0%. And, you know, we, we all know we experienced record stimulus in 2020 and 2021 in response to COVID-19. You know, these, these COVID stimulus checks were hilarious. So, you know, I had friends who are considered by the IRS to be high-income families, and many just took their stimulus and invested in stocks. Um, you know, they didn't need it. You know, others, of course, they blew it on discretionary items or, you know, spent more money, which contributed to inflation. And that be- began to spike in 2021. Um, you know, really, April of 2021, you you saw a definitive spike where we crossed over the 4% mark, and, and then it continued to get worse through the summer, Um and then in October of 2021, we were sitting at 6.2%. And, and, it, and unemployment, you know, spiked to double digits in 2020 after coming off a 50-year low to start the year. But those workers were mostly seasonal and there, there were temporary layoffs. And according to the Fed Reserve Bank of San Francisco, when unemployment peaked to 14.7% in April of 2020, temporary layoffs accounted for 11.5% of that total. So many of those people were hired back to work at the end of 2020 and into 2021. So with stimulus falling into the hands of people that didn't really need it, coupled with supply chain issues with China being locked down, along with many other international countries, inflation began to really get ugly in the summer of 2021. But the Fed insisted that inflation was transitory. And after several months of persistent inflation, Powell finally announced that the Fed's plan 
for 2022 was to increase rates, combat inflation, and, and then reduce their balance sheet in order to tighten the money supply. Um, but perhaps it was a little too too little too late. You know, inflation continued to rise in 2022, peaked in June at 9.1%, the highest level we've seen in 40 years. And you combine this with Russia invading Ukraine, which in and of itself is a tragedy, but this further constrained the global supply chain issues that we were having with China being locked down and China sort of searching for this zero COVID tolerance policy. You know, and so those were all serious headwinds from the largest economies in the world. You know, despite all this, the S&P 500 was down 18%. I mean, yes, sure, it was the worst year we've seen since 2008 when stocks fell over 37%. Um, but, you know, small cap equities were down 20. International developed economies were down 18. Emerging markets were down about 20. You know, and so if you sort of look back over the last few years, probably not as bad as it could have been. And so that kind of, that definitely sort of, you know, brings the question is 2023, are we going to continue to see, you know, sell-offs in stocks? And we'll talk a little bit about 2023 here shortly. The tricky part of all of this is that all of this happened during a rising interest rate environment. And so bonds, we saw bonds returning a negative return of 13% in 2022. So, you know, you think about from a retiree perspective, you know, generally they're in, they're not 100% in stocks. You know, most of my clients I would say they're in a they're, they're around a balanced portfolio, maybe 60% in stocks, 40% in bonds. Um Worst year we've ever seen for a 60-40 portfolio, at least that I've ever seen personally. And, you know, so this this is this was definitely tricky for, for those retirees. Given how low rates have been, you know, fixed income wasn't really an investment for yield. You know, fixed income was an investment more for stability. And, you know, simply for the fact that, historically speaking, they're negatively correlated to stocks. But this time they dropped in lockstep with stocks which certainly puts significant pressure on retirement income planning, specifically those, those balanced investors. You know, just a quick note on this. We, we talked about this risk of bond prices dropping as interest rate rise for many years. I mean, frankly, for the last decade, it feels like we've been having this discussion for client with clients. Um, you know, and so we talked about the benefits of deploying a short duration or even a zero duration strategy as part of the core fixed income portfolios. And that played out extremely well for 2022. You know, despite bond prices falling, a lot of our clients held individual bonds. And we, as many of you know, if you hold an individual bond to maturity, you'll get the par value back. So despite those price fluctuations that we saw in 2022, now those bonds are maturing and we're getting those par values back. And we can now turn around and reinvest those bonds at the highest interest rates we've seen since pre-financial crisis, 2008, pre-2008. But back to stocks here for a minute. So stocks had two very different stories, specifically within the growth versus value styles. Growth stocks, which are known for being technology-driven or consumer cyclical stocks, those were down over 30%. Value stocks, on the other hand, were only down about 5%. So value outperformed growth in all of the U.S. sectors, both you know, uh, in the U.S. large cap, the mid cap, and the small cap, and internationally. And this is important because growth was the overwhelming top dog for the last decade. And many portfolios were significantly overweight in growth-oriented stocks in 2022. You know, think FANG stocks, right? Those got crushed. And when recessions hit, people flight to safety. And value stocks are known for being 
a safer bet. They have positive cash flows, healthy balance sheets, and a result that typically pay healthy dividends. And this helps offset some of that price volatility that stocks see during bear markets. But now that yields have popped and growth stocks have sold off, where is the opportunity in 2023? So the first thing, the first thing we're going to be talking about is yields are back in fixed income. Yield is back for bonds, okay? Um, so that's the exciting part for you retirees is, you know, that 40 or 50% that you've invested in fixed income for stability, now they're going to start paying some decent interest rates. And if you look at the U.S. aggregate bond index, roughly 4.4%, treasuries around 4%, um, investment-grade corporates around 5%, uh, high-yield corporates over 8%, maybe not chase those too quickly, you know, just because those yields are looking attractive, still could be some volatility within high yields. But the point is, super attractive when it comes to interest rates, now that we've had the Fed increase rates at, at a historical pace. Now... Let's talk about the yield curve. So the, the two-year treasury is yielding close to 4.2% right now. And the 10-year treasury is yielding only 3.5%. So what gives? This is known as an inverted yield curve. So where longer-term bonds are paying less than shorter-term bonds. Why is this important? First and foremost, the market is pricing in rate cuts down the road. Okay, Maybe it's two years. Maybe it's three years. No one has a crystal ball. But at some point, the market is assuming that rates are going to go down. Second, it's a pretty good indicator that a recession is coming. Okay, um, and, and you know this is important to talk about because it might be tempting to park your bonds, your fixed income, and maybe a two-year treasury because they're yielding higher than a ten-year treasury. Okay, and that makes sense logically speaking. But the challenge is when those bonds mature, you will have what's known as reinvestment risk. What if rates do fall? Now your two-year bond matures and rates have fallen. You can't invest at rates anywhere close to what we have today. So after nearly a decade of being essentially close to a zero duration on bonds, we're now adding duration to lock in some of the highest yields we've seen since pre-global financial crisis. Second, we love the value story to continue to outperform well in 2023, not just in the U.S., but also overseas. You know, people love dividend stocks when markets are volatile. And if we get hit with higher than expected rate hikes or a recession, growth stocks will be sold off more and they will be impacted more than value stocks. With that being said, growth stocks sold off over 30% last year. Okay. People are not very big, very keen on big tech right now. In fact, some of those big tech names, look at some of these numbers, Google, Minus 39.1% in 2022. Amazon, minus 49.6%. Tesla, minus 65%. Facebook, minus 65%. Netflix, minus 50%. Okay, so we talked about the growth sector as a whole at minus 30. All of these big names were sold off almost double for what the index was. And so after years of tech being overvalued in the eyes of many, a lot of these big tech names are trading at somewhat of an appropriate valuation, which actually makes us kind of love technology and growth stocks over the next three years. Okay, As long as you can stomach some of that volatility, it's like one of my favorite Warren Buffett quotes, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. Right now, people are fearful of big tech. So that might be a good buying opportunity if we have a longer term time horizon. Now, don't worry for our clients who are near retirement or already retired, which is the majority of you 
we won't be making any big bets on tech. Um, but we're certainly going to be adding some growth exposure to the portfolios because that's warranted given how attractive valuations are. And over the long haul, stocks are the only asset class that consistently beats inflation. And with retirees living longer and remaining healthy longer, owning a healthy dose of stocks is the only way to hedge inflation risk. Many retirees think they need to cut or eliminate stocks at retirement. This is false and will lead to potentially outliving one's assets. In fact, Bill Bengen's famous study, which led to the well-known 4% rule, he advocated for a minimum of 50% in stocks and felt more keen for a portfolio to have closer to 50, 75% in stocks. So just because you own stocks doesn't make your portfolio more risky. In fact, if you have a larger percentage of, of bonds, inflation becomes a higher risk for you. And so many of my clients want to enjoy retirement throughout their life expectancy and maintain dignity, not lose it. Okay. So it's important to own equities in the portfolio. And now is a good time and has been a good time over the last year or so to rebalance portfolios, take some of your cash or short-term bonds, reinvest it at, at higher yields for the fixed income, and even add some equity exposure for some of those longer-term assets in the portfolio. So what about international stocks? Are they primed to potentially outperform in the years to come? You know, we saw a glimmer of this beginning in 2019 and early 2020, but with the pandemic, they got hit harder. You know, they underperformed U.S. stocks over the last couple of years, which really has been the theme since the global financial crisis in 2008. However, international stock valuations are so much more attractive relative to U.S. stocks. Additionally, with the U.S. dollar being so strong, it bodes well for international stocks. You know, think about it. With a strong U.S. dollar... Exports are more expensive and imports are less expensive. Traveling outside the U.S. is less expensive than traveling in the U.S. So do the math. You know, but the biggest factor is if you look at history, when inflation was high, international stocks shined and outperformed U.S. Especially in the period from 1974 to 1990. Bloomberg has a really, really powerful chart on this, and I posted it on my blog. If you go to imaginefinancialsecurity.com, click the blog link. You'll see uh, my post on our 2023 market outlook where I have this chart. So with U.S. stocks outperforming the last decade, is it time for that to shift back to international stock dominance? No one has a crystal ball. Our clients don't hire us to try to gamble with their money. But with that being said, allocating a portion of the stock portfolio to both developed economies overseas and emerging economies, coupled with the sleeve and international fixed income, this will likely prove to reduce volatility and improve returns over time. And I think this is a big opportunity for investors because a lot of portfolios that I look at uh, for prospective clients, they've got a sort of a hometown bias. They, they have heavy U.S. exposure and very little or, or even no international exposure. And that's played out well over the last you know decade. So even if it's not intentional, those portfolios are out of balance unless there's been a process to rebalance on an ongoing basis. So, so check those statements. Make sure you've got at least some exposure into international stocks to protect against inflation, to protect against some of the volatility we might see here in the U.S. if we have a recession, and so on and so forth. So key takeaways from today, look again at duration within your fixed income. Don't go short-term right now just because yields are higher short-term. Extend duration out. Yields are more, li more than likely to fall over time. Look at mortgage rates. They're going to have to come down. People can't afford homes. 
Um, so it's let's it's time to extend duration, not reduce it. And it's the best time to buy fixed income that we've seen really since pre-2008. Now, with that being said, don't chase high yields. It might be tempting with how high rates are to sell some of your stocks because they've been getting hosed and buy bonds. Don't do this. Keep your stock allocation consistent with your long-term goals and your required rate of return. Super important. And number three, ensure the proper balance between value and growth stocks, both here in the U.S. and overseas. This will help reduce volatility in case we have some more bad news in 2023, which is possible. Number four, ensure proper diversification in international stocks. I might also add to potentially limit exposure in foreign companies within emerging markets that have a high percentage ownership from foreign governments. These governments are less regulated, typically have a ton of power, and are more likely to cook the books if you know what I mean. Last but not least, number five, make sure your investment portfolio is aligned with your specific financial goals, okay? Um, Short-term goals, intermediate-term goals, long-term goals. And for this reason, we love the bucketing approach. So not every account on the balance sheet is invested the same way, okay? So if your required rate of return for the long haul is, let's say, 6%, and that requires you to be 75% stocks, 25% bonds, not every account is going to look the same. So perhaps you have a taxable brokerage account that you're going to be tapping into before you start taking required minimum distributions. That account might be a little bit more conservative. Maybe it's 60-40, 60% stocks, 40% in bonds, because you're going to be utilizing that income in the shorter term. And then maybe you have a Roth account on your balance sheet that's going to be even long, long term, 20 plus years. This might be 100% in stocks. But overall, if your target's 75-25, that bucketing approach helps reduce that volatility in the portfolio for assets that you're going to be tapping into in the shorter term, okay? Uh, So super important to have a purpose for each bucket and align those buckets with your time horizon. Thanks everybody for tuning into today's episode. I hope you learned something valuable. Make sure to give our show a follow to stay up to date with all of our latest episodes. If you're interested in working with our firm, check out our website, imaginefinancialsecurity.com. There's also a ton of written content on our blog about retirement planning, so do yourself a favor and check that out. And last but not least, if you like what you heard, make sure to give us that five-star review. It helps us a ton. Until next time, this is Kevin Lau signing off.